This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The U.S.-Mexico border is seeing unprecedented numbers of migrants, including people who are in a terrorist screening database, as a pandemic-related policy that's kept many migrants out is about to be lifted. All of it is bringing back talk of immigration reform. When a terrorist action hits, you know, a terrorist doesn't go, hey, how do I target Republicans? How do I target Democrats? They don't care who you voted for. What they're trying to do is kill Americans. I'm Lisa Brady. Social media can be a double-edged sword, especially for kids, with many parents still debating how to protect them from the edge of an abyss. It can be a force for good, but it does have to be guided. It has to be regulated. And we have to look at those things that can take it to a point of where it can be dangerous. And I'm Guy Benson. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. 23 of the tens of thousands of migrants apprehended along the U.S.-Mexico border last year were people whose names showed up on the terrorist screening database. That's what Fox's own Bill Malusian discovered in response to his Freedom of Information Act request filed last December. And because agents are overwhelmed by the volume of people, it's possible, Malusian says, that others successfully crossed. Keep in mind, multiple high-level CBP sources are telling us just in the last six months alone, there have been more than 300,000 known gotaways at our southern border. People are getting through in massive numbers. Last month, Customs and Border Protection encountered more than 221,000 migrants along the border, more than any month last year, when the border saw near-record or record-breaking numbers of people coming. This despite the existence of Title 42, a public health order that resulted in many single adult migrants being turned away or sent back rapidly due to COVID concerns. Well, that order is being lifted in late May, and even some Democrats are worried. Democrats in border states like Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, and some Democrats in some tough races right now, like Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada. They've said lifting Title 42 needs a concrete plan to deal with the influx of people. Certainly right now, the cartels are looking looking at Title 42, the moment they lift that, you're going to stay seeing a lot more people coming across. Texas Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar told Fox and Friends policies need to consider input from border agents themselves. It's okay to listen to immigration uh, activists when uh, when this policy has been made, but who's listening to the men and women in green? Who's listening Nobody. to the border communities, the mayors, the judges out there? you got to listen to the border communities and to the men and women in green. The Department of Homeland Security has said without Title 42, they estimate they'll be making as many as 18,000 arrests per day at the U.S.-Mexico border. You know, there's a lot of terrible things that are happening. Texas Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez. The drugs, fentanyl that's coming over, killing record amount of people, the number of migrants that are dying, horrible deaths at the border is absolutely disturbing. The unaccompanied children... Where are they going? Are they being trafficked? I mean, the the list goes on and on. But to me, the most terrifying aspect of the border crisis is the terrorist threat. We saw it in 9-11. I've seen it when I was stationed in Iraq Iraq and Afghanistan. 
when a terrorist action hits, you know, a terrorist doesn't go, hey, how do I target Republicans? How do I target Democrats? They don't care who you voted for. What they are trying to do is kill Americans. And this is the aspect. 23 known terrorists that have come over our border last year alone, it should terrify all of us and it should unite lawmakers. Regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, we should all be wanting to make America safe from terrorism. Congressman, the White House has said that they are lifting Title 42 in late May, and that date was chosen in part because it gives Homeland Security time to prepare. Given what we know is happening at the border, even with Title 42 in place, how should they be preparing for this lift? You know, only a fool would lift Title 42 during the peak of this crisis. And sadly, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing politics being played. And it's not between Republicans and Democrats. It's between the Democratic Party. It's between their progressive wing versus their moderate wing. And you're seeing more and more, uh, more and more Democrats push back against lifting Title 42. A couple weeks ago, you saw a bill in the Senate that pushed to extend Title 42 in the House. I've co-led a bill with Representative Golden from Maine. Uh, and you're going to see more Democrats start to break with this progressive White House wing. The issue is this. It should not be about politics. For all the things that we mentioned earlier, fentanyl kills everybody. Terrorism kills everybody. The sheer number of migrants coming over impacts every single city in America. What you're seeing is politics get played out. We have to put a stop to it. And it'll be interesting to see. Come May 23rd, will the White House side with their moderate wing and extend Title 42 under the pressure that the Republicans have given? Or will their side with their progressive wing and do away with Title 42 at the height of this crisis? Okay, but as much as Republicans and even some Democrats are questioning the lifting of this health order relating to COVID, this isn't a long-term solution anyway, right? I mean, this is this was part of a health order. It was going to be lifted. It's going to be lifted at some point anyway. It can't remain indefinitely. So let's say May 23rd is the date and it does get lifted. How should DHS be preparing now for that? Let's say it's June. Let's say it's July. Um, at some point, this Title 42 will likely be lifted. So what should our folks on the ground be preparing for, and how should they be preparing? Yeah, you're right. You know, Title 42 is a temporary policy. It's going to be lifted at some point. You know, uh, early last year, over a year ago, at the very beginning of this crisis, I introduced a piece of legislation that I think would help in this case. And a piece of legislation is called the Bipartisan Border Solutions Act. It was myself and Henry Cuellar on the Democratic side in the House and Senator Cornyn and Senator Sinema on the Senate side. Bipartisan, bicameral piece of legislation. What does this piece of legislation do that could help alleviate with that? The number one thing is this, is it gets Border Patrol agents out of the processing centers and back out in the field. So that way they can stop terrorists. That way they can catch drugs. That way you can catch these different people that are coming over that you do not want in your community. You know, if you're a, a convicted sex offender, nobody should want them in their community. So that's one of the things it does. Another thing that it does is it tracks these children. The, the bill does a lot of different things. One other part of the bill is it adds ICE agents to the equation. You have to have more manpower, bottom line. That way you can be uh, out in the field protecting America from bad people. The fact that we're having this conversation as new numbers sort of reveal an overwhelming situation, it still feels like Groundhog Day, right? We've been talking about immigration-related matters for over a decade, I think close to two decades now. When will there actually be? You called your legislation bipartisan, but 
when will there actually be sort of the bipartisan will to do something? What, what will it take? And, and what sort of compromise would you as a Republican be willing to make to get something done? I think you're seeing it unfold now. I mean, the fact that everybody knows what Title 42 is. I mean, Title 42 is a very distinct policy aspect right. of it. But because we're in this crisis and everybody knows what is happening, in large part due to Republicans going to the border. I'm going to host Kevin McCarthy and a, a wide variety of different members next week again at the border. What is it going to take? Honestly, it's going to take people with guts that have the willpower to go securing our border is a priority. And also, one of the things that I try to do is there is a difference between legal immigration and border security. These are two different things. You can be for a secure border in all aspects, and you can absolutely be for legal immigration. Those that want to come over and live and work and do those things through the front door, what you're seeing is this administration won't listen to anyone. They won't listen to Democrats and won't listen to Republicans. You ask, what is it going to take? I think what it's going to take is for them to lose. It's going to take new leadership, new majority in the House and ideally the Senate to push that administration to change its current course. Because what they're doing now is not working. And you see it. You see it on the ground. You see it in the numbers. You also see it in the polls. If you were to lead a discussion among Republicans and Democrats, what would you as a Republican say to a Democrat? Look, I'll give on this or let's talk about uh, after we've after we've secured the border. I'll work with you on this because I see that's your priority. Like when I talk about the will, I also mean Republican will too. Like, sure. is there anything that you could say? Cause you just mentioned legal migration. So mm-hmm. what on that front, what in that vein would you say you'd, you'd be willing to either compromise on or talk about, or is compromise not really in the cards here on this discussion? Well, this is what I tell my colleagues, whether they're Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. I tell them uh, immigration reform starts with border security starts there. We have to have a discussion there, add more field agents, add more technology, add more infrastructure, all those types of things. Let's say we were able to get past that and all those things are agreed upon. Then I think the next step is talking about work visas. Work visas make sense to me. I think it makes sense to a lot of people, you know, folks that want to come over and work and do those different things. Let's find a way to increase the number of work visas. Another thing that's been talked about quite a bit is DACA. You know, let's talk about some of those. When you start talking about amnesty, every Republican checks out, and rightfully Mm. so. That should completely be off the table. If the conversation were to move along, I think you could get to a point where you can go, you know, how how is there a way to bring all these people that are here illegally out of the shadows into the light, but maybe do it in a matter where they're not citizens, maybe do it in a matter where they can't vote. Because remember, this is about political power for both parties. And, and when you start talking about voting, then all of a sudden you talk about, you know, who's going to have the power to wield, you know, these different political priorities for each party. I think you got to remove that. Let's remove the voting from it. Let's remove the citizenship from the conversation. Let's talk about border security and let's talk about work visas and then kind of go from there. Speaking of work visas, I know we, we do have so many employers looking for workers. Um, there are more open jobs available than it seems willing employees. Is that related at all to what's happening at the border with Title 42, with the pandemic, with turning people away? I know that if you apply for asylum and you're released into the country, you're not supposed to be able to work, right? You you don't, unless your case has been adjudicated, you don't get to work in the United States. But I'm reading some things that are intimating that maybe some of our lack of employees in this country are, are maybe due in part, even if it's a small part, 
to people not coming across or not being allowed across. Does that ring true for you at all, or are those things connected at all? I, I think it gets muddied real fast. Uh, what yeah. I can say is 90% of folks that seek asylum do not qualify for asylum. So what does that mean? That means they're coming over here for other reasons, right? Economic reasons is the number one issue. And, and I understand that, and I get that, and I could totally relate with somebody trying to leave their environment to come for a better life for themselves and their family. But what is happening is they're doing it illegally, and cartels are exploiting them, one. Two, let's say you make it through there. Then what does your life look like from there? You're in the shadows. That's the part that this administration doesn't understand. You're encouraging more people to live a life of being in the dark. This is where I think it's important where you increase work visas, get them to come through the front door. You're not going to qualify for asylum, so don't come over here seeking asylum. But if there's a work visa, an opportunity for you to work in a field, come over. You don't vote. You're not a citizen. You're just coming over here under a work visa. That's an area that I think could be a good starting point to having a deeper conversation on immigration reform. Finally, your state has taken some, I guess, new tactics um, and taken some heat for those tactics uh, with Governor Abbott's decision to have some additional truck inspections that caused briefly some disruptions in the movement of goods across the border. I think he sent some migrants into D.C. on a bus. What do you make of these kinds of, of moves, these actions that Governor Abbott's engaging in here? So I represent 42% of the southern border. Border security is the number one topic in my district, and it's not even close. Everyone is frustrated with what is happening, and they've been frustrated with over a year now. I think what you're seeing is Governor Abbott do everything he possibly can to bring light to the situation. Uh, look, is busing people to D.C. going to solve the problem? No, no, it's not. But what it will do is it makes headlines and it gets people talking about it. Uh, I, I go back to it. What will solve the problem? I think what will solve the problem is, one, not doing away with Title 42. Extend that out a little bit. What will solve the problem? Adding more Border Patrol agents to the equation and then ultimately getting them out of the processing centers and back out in the field. These are some tangible things that can happen. But I, I look to Congress yet again. I look to Congress, not a governor from any state, to have a solution to federal problems. Congressman Gonzalez of Texas, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Guy Benson with your Fox News commentary coming up. The world has a love-hate relationship with all of our clicks, posts, likes, and shares. And researchers keep finding troubling results when they study adolescent social media use in particular. Concerns that have been elevated by President Biden himself, echoing Facebook whistleblower Frances Haugen as she attended his State of the Union address earlier this year. We must hold social media platforms accountable for the national experiment they're conducting on our children for profit. Haugen telling Fox News in March. I think transparency is something that we can get, both sides can get behind. Things also like 
protecting um, young people, protecting children on these platforms is also an area, I think, where we can cooperate, making sure that young people's data is kept private. One recent study goes beyond the basic question of whether or not social media is harmful, exploring whether rising use is linked to more mental health problems. It doesn't prove harm, but researchers at the University of Cambridge in England did find a possible connection between life satisfaction and more or less social media use, mainly among adolescents, even though the study analyzed data from more than 80,000 people ages 10 to 80. I believe we are concerned enough that we know that social media was created, uh, hopefully, for the purpose of being able to connect people, being able to share information. Dr. Jeff Gardere is an associate professor of behavioral medicine at Toro College of Medicine in New York City and also known as America's psychologist. But we also know that there have been uh, some bad players as part of this. And now uh, we see that social media can be used in ways that can hurt people, but certainly uh, people who may not be equipped emotionally or may have some emotional issues where they may not be prepared for trolls or others or the criticism that may come along with that certainly that can be very harmful. Yeah, and really that could apply to adults as well as children, but a lot of the focus has been on adolescents. There's a longer-term study out of Britain that looked at whether social media is contributing to more mental health problems in young people. They found what they call windows of vulnerability, certain times of life when people might be more susceptible to damaging effects. It was a bit younger for girls, ages 11 to 13, compared to ages 14 and 15 for boys. And then for both uh, genders around age 19, maybe due to life changes around that age, like going off to college and such. Are those the kind of results that you would expect from a study like this? Well, I haven't read the study. And to be honest with you, I wasn't aware of it. But it doesn't surprise me from the anecdotal information that I've been able to experience and uh, come across uh, with uh, friends and family members and so on. But especially in speaking with youngsters in therapy, certainly we know that there are milestones that they need to hit uh, in order to continue on their maturational development. Uh, We know that the brain uh, does not completely mature in boys until mid to late 20s for the most part. And therefore, if you're not being fed the right type of information, uh, if you're in a situation of where you've been victimized uh, by uh, being on some sort of a, a media site that may not have been healthy for you to begin with or may not be prepared maturationally, that it can have a negative effect in how you view life or how you view yourself or uh, contributing to some emotional imbalance. Um, I, I certainly believe that we should spend more time in looking at how adolescent males are affected by the images of perfection that they may be pulling up on some of these social media sites. And certainly we now know that boys do have uh, eating disorders, uh, not at the same rates as um, as girls, uh, but 
The fact of the matter is that they may in many ways feel that they don't measure up uh, because they don't have a certain height or the types of muscles or, you know, have a, a certain facial structure or whatever the case may be. And therefore, we really do need to pay attention to what it is that they are experiencing on the net. And as parents, be able to give them um, an intellectual, emotional diet that is much more varied as to what life really is. You know, especially since what we see in a social media post is such a momentary snapshot. And sometimes it's the best of 20 photos that were taken, for instance, or, you know, something that's been photoshopped. And so it often isn't a realistic view of anyone's life. Um, One other question, just to focus on the issue of boys for another moment. I felt, at least from a woman's perspective, I was thinking that men have come such a long way in recent decades in being able to express themselves or feeling more like it's okay to do that. It's not a sign of weakness. But how much pressure is there still on boys to not say when they're feeling insecure? I think that pressure may come from their peer groups who may not be at that place yet uh, where they have evolved or where those around them or society is not giving a clear enough message that you really should key into what your emotions are. It's absolutely not just okay, but it is healthy to cry and to express yourself along, you know, any continuum of your emotionality, attractionality, or sexuality. Uh, and therefore, we find, as, as with most people, that sometimes we are our own worst enemies uh, and self-critics. One thing that British researchers found, and I'm just wondering if it's something that you see in practice, um, they said that a year after the teens they studied increased time on social media a year after that they felt less satisfied with life and then a year after that that in turn led to greater social media use so they felt worse and then they turned more to social media do you see that kind of dangerous cycle playing out it's like uh, chasing that first high uh, in substance abuse, right? You know, the first hit of an illicit substance may take you to a certain place, you know, with regard to feeling, you know, some sort of uh, a very enhanced emotion. Uh, and then you're constantly chasing that initial feeling. In some ways, we see that in social media, um, that high that you get uh, with regard to being so plugged in to all of these things, all of these images, uh, exploring places that you never have before, maybe really shouldn't be doing uh, or getting certain attention and so on. And then when you don't get that, then you realize, well, maybe this isn't really life. Um, And therefore, I really need to get out of virtual reality into actual reality, being around other people, in-person interactions. But then being drawn back as we find there can be some sort of a habituation or even an addiction to social media to find what it is that you felt that you had before. And it goes into this vicious cycle, if you will. What do you tell 
parents and kids about protecting themselves from negative social media experiences? Because it sounds a lot easier to avoid negative comments, for instance, than it is to stop yourself from feeling like less of a worthwhile person because you're comparing yourself to others, even if you don't want to. I think it's important for parents to, as much as possible, try to help their kids to be somewhat regimented and have some discipline as to the amount of time that they spend on their devices and social media. And I can tell you, not just as a psychologist, but also a parent of six, uh, what I've just said is easier said than done uh, because uh, these devices, social media at times becomes a distraction uh, for our children that allows us as parents to try to do the things that we need to do that keeps our kids company. But we should know that it is not sustainable. And so therefore, it is important that we step in and do the hard work of establishing relationships with our children that they can't get on social media or through their devices. So we can either pay now or pay later, and we're better off paying now and putting the efforts in. Is it really up to families and individuals at this point? You know, how much responsibility also falls on the social media platforms or on lawmakers? We as a community have to come together. That would be family, friends, parents, the media companies themselves, politicians, to look at the importance of the mental wellness, mental health of not just everyone in our society, but especially our children who are the most vulnerable to when things can go wrong on social media. Again, I don't want to paint social media as being an evil force. We know it's something that can be very educational, can help people connect. As we know, there are people who have met on sites, who have gotten married, who've had relationships, who learn about certain things. It can be a force for good, but it does have to be guided. It has to be regulated. And we have to look at those things that can take it to a point of where it can be dangerous. Is it time to change the conversation? Do we know enough to say, as you did, you know, look, yes, social media is sometimes harmful, but not always. But let's focus now on the deeper assessment of that risk and the solutions. Well, you 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 brought out a couple of studies, and I think it's important that we have more of these studies as to some of the deleterious effects of social media uh, and what it is that we can do to begin to extract some of those practices or influences out of it. You know, there are, you know, social media has been used by foreign actors as a way to divide America. Uh, it's been used as misinformation. Uh, it's been used in a way, you know, to not give us uh, the salient information, you know, to protect ourselves through a pandemic. Uh, and so we need to learn from all of those lessons that we can all do better. The consumers, the family of the consumers, the politicians, and certainly the media companies themselves. Dr. Jeff Gardere, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Guy Benson. What's on your mind? Last September, members of the U.S. Border Patrol were accused of whipping illegal immigrants of Haitian descent trying to enter the country. Biden administration officials pronounced themselves horrified, and the president vowed that the officers in question would pay. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas promised a speedy investigation. And then, nothing. Month after month, silence, even as images and videos proved that the allegation was bogus. Finally this week, the involved officers have been cleared of criminal wrongdoing, a long overdue verdict. But their administrative nightmare continues, and they still might lose their jobs over a baseless smear rooted in an overreaction from activists, the media, and high-ranking Democrats, who as usual work together, and as is often the case, were wrong. This case is a perfect example of the aphorism, justice delayed is justice denied end the witch hunt and hold those responsible for it accountable. This is Guy Benson, host of The Guy Benson Show. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.